Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Jeffrey P. Nesker, a director whose first feature, Elsewhere in New York, traces a romantic triangle between a woman, her boyfriend, and his new roommate, who turns out to be an old flame. It's now available for rent and purchase on iTunes in Canada and on iTunes and Amazon Video in the U.S. It's worth looking for. Jeffrey picked Alien 3, David Fincher's 1992 entry in the 20th Century Fox sci-fi franchise, which kind of got clobbered when it was first released. It's the one that wiped away the triumphs of James Cameron's Aliens to leave Sigourney Weaver's Ripley doomed, depressed, and stuck on a prison planet filled with religious zealots and one very hungry monster. It's kind of a mess, but 25 years later, it's very clearly a mess of interesting ideas connected by a powerful visual sensibility. This may have been Fincher's first feature, but he knew what he was doing. And the version that made it to theaters is no longer the only point of reference anyway. Don't worry, I'll explain everything. Or Jeffrey will. We'll get to it. This is someone else's movie. Well, I'm a sci-fi nerd. And I'm going to tell you a a tall tale right now. And you you won't believe me, but it doesn't matter because it's true. Okay. So my Zeta Harry, he lived on Antibes Drive, which is right across the street from Newtonbrook Bolorama, which is... You went to Newtonbrook High School. Yeah, I remember. But do you remember the Bolorama at that, that plaza right on... Uh, Bathurst and Finch. It's like a shoppers and a uh, Loblaws. Yeah, I and think a, so. It was the okay. north, uh, yeah, southwest coast. Proper North York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had, um, and I don't remember the naming conventions. Was it First Choice and then First Choice the Movie Channel and then uh, the Movie first Channel Super Channel? Okay, and so the Movie Network. Yeah. Well, I think the Movie Network was after the Movie Channel, and Possibly. for some time I think they doubled down and they were like First Choice the Movie Channel, which was like a super tongue twister. Anyway, what? Aliens came out 86 theatrically, right? Right, yeah. So let's say 87, uh, like early, early double digits, maybe like 11 years old. And I go to see, I watch Alien at my, at my Zeta's house. Sorry, Aliens. And I swear to you, it's the director's cut. <laughs> I swear to you. So we're talking Ripley's daughter stuff. Right. And we're talking the Sentry Smart. Guns, right. which were the best thing ever, and I don't know why they cut them. I don't think that's possible. Are you sure you didn't you're not maybe missing, messing I, it up with the TV broadcasts? Because uh, that was where they introduced the director's material. Maybe I am. But regardless, right. I watched it on TV. So that was your first and experience of Aliens. With, uh, my first experience of Aliens. So flash forward now to Alien 3. And I'm sure my dad took me to see it in the States because it was a hard R, right? So there's no way... I would have seen it. Might have been AA up here. You think? Maybe. I, yeah, I, I can tell you. Well, regardless, regardless, we, yeah, I we did definitely s- didn't have 14A or no. We did, it was way before 14A. Right. Uh, so I'm sure my dad took me just to get me in the door, and I saw the assembly cut, bits and pieces of it theatrically. I know the look on your face oh. tells me you're not going to believe it. I'm not sure if it was the oxen alien uh-huh. or the dog alien, but I absolutely remember this scene where they trapped the alien in the. Uh, uh, to- toxic waste room and uh, and then Gallic lets him out because he's gone totally mental mm-hmm. so uh, that's my tall tale so about watching both of them how old would you have been because Alien 3 is what 92. 92 so I would have been maybe 14 15 because this stuff fascinates me is it possible you read the novelization and you just sort of put it in there you know i was looking for alan Alan dean foster novelized every last one of them right like he's the go-to guy for all sci-fi novelizations and i don't i didn't read it on the wikipedia page but i think 
he had a like this was if you if you pardon the pun this was an awfully long gestation this project <laughs> and i don't know if he did the novelization for alien 3 i want to say yes but i can't remember 99% of me wants to say yes um, but no, I absolutely remember seeing that scene. And then when I bought it on home video later, I was wondering why the hell that scene was missing. Yeah. And this is pre-internet and pre any other place you could have seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I know it, that it sounds totally unbelievable. Where, where in the States did you see it? It would have been either Buffalo or Detroit. It couldn't have been Miami. Just some kind of bad reel got shipped somewhere. Yeah, I mean... I, I want to believe these stories. Cause I, 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 I want you to believe this story because <laughs> it, it makes me sound like I was in the right place at the right time twice. But on, like that's the way I remember it. And so, um, you know, Alien 3, uh, because I was such a fan and because I was so invested in the characters and the story, and because I had read the Dark Horse comics continuation that had sort of taken it in a different direction, I had a lot of anticipation for it. I knew nothing about how troubled the production it was i knew nothing about the endless rewrites right. and all of the um all of the dissension and it rocked my world i mean it absolutely destroyed me it destroyed me before the opening credits were over because it's uh, in my opinion probably the most subversive franchise film ever made uh probably the darkest franchise film ever made um like just unrepentantly bleak and That's, realistic yeah uh, you know, for my young eyes, I was so like the fir- the experience of watching it the first time. I was just so pissed the entire way through. You know, like they killed my guys and they killed them unceremoniously while they were still going through the credits roll. Right. Uh, so I remember the experience was utter disappointment, but the mood of it, like just this this pervasive mood of dread, was so. Um, it just it stayed with me for a long like it's still with me it's one of it's a it's a film that i think is absolutely shaped who i am as an artist uh and what what kind of things attract me as an artist um so yeah it just it it really blew my mind absolutely that's fascinating i mean i remember my first experience of it was um i think the first hour is incredibly solid and then it the theatrical cut, anyway, yeah. starts to just it starts to drift in ways that are unsatisfying to me. I, I think, I have no problem with the alien films sort of switching tones and genre. I think that's the most fascinating thing about sure, them. yeah, and, yeah. and uh, the fact that all four films were given to different directors. Well, the pedigree is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Scott, d- yeah, yeah, radical yeah, departures yeah. every time too. It's like we're trusting the guy who made Amelie with this, and we're yeah. trusting the or the guy who will. You know, like they're just really bizarre choices because at the time Genet had just made Delicatessen right? yeah, like it's a, yeah, yeah. It makes and it was less the, I think it was the first film that he didn't get co-credited with Mark Caro that's well. right yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, and I think that's a DGC rule you can't until uh, what's his name Frank Miller and Rodriguez challenged it for was that the first time well I, they challenged it yeah but I think Rodriguez had to um, renounce his membership for Sin City yeah huh. yeah to get the co-director credit but Fincher who hadn't made a feature and was now I keep directing music videos mm-hmm. and all of a sudden is is entrusted with this and Cameron at the time it at least had made Terminator but it just felt like Fox was going out of their way to, to cast interesting uh, or to, to staff the films with interesting people interesting yeah. writers interesting directors and I had heard that Vincent Ward was working on it but at the time 
you know, the conversation wasn't loud enough. Yeah. Couldn't really track production changes. Yeah. So all I knew was that Vincent Ward, who had made The Navigator, which I absolutely loved, yeah, yeah, yeah. was no longer directing it. This new guy was. I was like, well, all right, but his name's still on the screenplay, so let's see where that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and only later did I find out just how radically different it was. And then when you look <sighs> at the film, it's like you see, you can almost feel it sort of pinwheeling between... Oh, it's a Frankenstein monster. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean... If you if you take the time and they're all readily available on the internet to sort of backtrack through its yeah. long, arduous, uh, like absolutely hellscape production process, <laughs> I mean you have to remember um, Sigourney Weaver was pretty pissed because at the end of Aliens they cut all the daughter stuff out and she had a big problem with that. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't even think the success that the commercial and critical success of Aliens uh, abided that in any way. She she had a she had a beef, and uh, and it didn't matter how successful the film was. So when they started out on Alien Three, they were going to do it without her. And uh, I think the first person attached, I'll remember my notes, uh, was Rennie Harlan. So they had. I remember he developed it. Yeah, me. they had Harlan on board, and they developed it. Uh, I can't. I think Giller and Hill wrote the first draft of uh, what would become Alien Three, and then interestingly enough, they passed it off to William Gibson. I've read his draft. And uh, he hated his draft. He uh, His logline, which is one of my favorites, is Space Commies Hijack Alien Eggs Big Trouble in Mall World. Right. Which is essentially what the script is, right? Like, they, they hired Gibson to get kind of a Blade Runner-y Neuromancer kind of thing, and they got Aliens Part 2. So they weren't quite happy, and I think at this point the film had been in development hell for a bunch of years. Uh, and uh, Sigourney Weaver was sort of warming up to playing Ripley again. But, you know, she came with a lot of uh, a rider, so to speak. Right. Uh, so as the film moved ahead, uh, they got uh, Eric Red to write it. And uh, then David Tuhi, who we all know wrote uh, Pitch Black, eventually wrote and directed yeah, Pitch Black. Which is and, an amazing alien movie. Yeah, yeah. Alien movie. And if you read his script, it is so similar really? to Pitch Black. Uh, especially um, the stuff in, I think it was... Uh, it's Riddick where he goes to the prison planet on yeah, second one. Uh, on, uh, and I think they even call it Furia, which is that's right. They and the planet in Alien Three is Fury One Nine Six Two or something, something yeah. like that, right? So uh, it's very interesting because as you go down the line, you see that people that that did work on Alien Three that kind of fell by the wayside. They sort of repurposed everything that they did towards their next projects right. which is really interesting i guess it makes sense too right if you have a good idea that someone already paid you for you might as true well enough yeah yeah i mean the tui script is uh you know there are the the, the protagonist is is basically riddick just a nicer riddick mm. um and uh you know the characters that 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 kind of make up the rest of the the main cast are very pitch black kind of that murk kind of attitude like it's got the tone is so similar it's unbelievable um was is it a successful film yes and no i mean it dances around uh its obligations to the characters i mean the, the every script whether it had uh sigourney weaver attached and michael bean and and carrie han attached uh danced around what to do with those characters, every last one of them. I mean, uh, I think it was the uh, the Gibson one where she's in a coma for like the first two acts. And then finally Hicks 
I think it is the Gibson. Yeah, and then finally Hicks like rescues her in a bio bed and like throws her in a shuttle and sets her off. And I read recently that 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 was because they were planning to do two films back to back, and she was going to disappear for the first one and then come back for the fourth one. Okay, uh, but I can see I, why that wouldn't be satisfying. Yeah, <laughs> but again, we're talking about a film with one of the most unsatisfying beginnings, like the, the theatrical version. So yeah. I like. I like the opening because it is so cruel. It's so cruel. It just takes it's, away every victory and it, it every victory. the whole thing. Every victory. It's so unbelievably cruel. Let's circle back to that. So sure. uh, then we bring on Vincent Ward, who uh, I think used this experience towards one of my favorite underrated films, which is What Dreams May Come. Okay. Uh, and uh, Vincent Ward took the film uh, with Joe Fasano, who wrote it, in a really interesting direction. And the, the, the basis of this was is that the alien uh, is on a wooden planet. Right. So it's this like uh, prefab Weyland-Yutani kind of wooden space satellite and all of these aseptic monks are living there and they're all uh, celibate. You know, like it would be like the old, uh, what was it called? Great Skellig, where the Irish monks went to in the Irish Sea, that oh, okay. big jutting piece of rock that they just used oh, like for... Uh, post Yeah, and they they actually used one of those rocks for uh, the the island that Luke hides on in the new Star Wars. Oh, really? Yeah, That's same, same rock. I'm not sure if it's the same rock, but definitely. And uh, they actually shot all the old temples that are there, like the ancient temples. You see it when Daisy Ray's going up the, the yeah. rock face and stuff like that. Uh, and so, yeah, so uh, Sigourney Weaver's in it. Uh, the idea is is that you know uh, she's a woman they're celibate she's temptation uh, so they lock her in the in the basement and uh, the idea being is that they find they think the alien is Satan and so they're fighting like a holy and they think right. that the alien has come to their wooden prison uh, their wooden uh, monastery planet because of temptation and Ripley's their temptation and it's a, really 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 high concept script right yeah no she's even it's the snake yeah like, yes it's exactly two, yeah the, yeah the snake in the, in the garden of Eden. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's really high-minded it's really elegant uh i'm not sure what draft like how many drafts it it made to uh so i think that there's still uh, odd areas here and there but like it would have cost Oh, yeah. Seven hundred billion dollars yeah, in '93 to make that movie. It's it was one of those things where the second you start to think about it, yeah, you can't practically. You it's maybe fake some of it on a soundstage, but yeah, I think everybody gets so fooled, carried away. Maybe is the wrong term, but everybody gets tricked by how beautiful the original film looks because mm-hmm. it's entirely sound stages. Yeah, yeah, and then just decides we can do that some other way, <laughs> and you just don't realize what you're dealing with it's true the, the some minimalism pe- the control involved in the first film is- absolutely some people call alien a low budget film I mean, and it sure as hell doesn't look like yeah it, you it's know? comparatively low budget yeah yeah, yeah. but it isn't no yeah. look it's it's fantastic to look at like yeah. it's just unbelievable so yeah there were a lot of big big set pieces there's a battle with the aliens that's kind of like the jurassic park fight with the velociraptors okay in the tall grass and then there's a fight in this huge vertical library with all these like wooden ladders and the aliens chasing and the monks are like jumping from ladder to ladder. So it would have been super, super amazing, but crazy expensive. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're now talking Aliens comes out 86, Alien 3 is finally released 93. So you're talking about pretty long period 
to hang your hat on the audience is coming back, right? Yeah. And so, you know, testy studio executives, and they must have gone through about, what, 20 regime changes in that amount of time? So, like, you can only imagine that everybody had certain uh, reservations about pushing the button on that one, like, yeah. pulling the trigger. It's amazing, too, because that was a time when you weren't working towards a release date. Yeah. Right? Like, they had that trailer... I saw the trailer in front of Point Break in 91. Oh, wow. Or rather, I didn't see it. I went out to the snack bar <laughs> after we got seats. They started the pre-roll, and I missed the trailer that said that this, mm. this year the aliens will come to Earth. Right, right, right. The and, teaser, which had like almost no footage right. in it. and yeah. it wasn't even that year. It was still yeah. just like, nope, completely scrapped, not the movie they made. <laughs> right, right, just right. Just pl- part of a marketing plan that didn't pay out. Yeah, yeah. And you end up with this... Well, after after Ward Fincher comes on and they mm-hmm. completely reconfigure it, well, almost completely, about seventy yeah. percent. They keep thirty percent of the ideas. Yeah, the, these prisoners are essentially monks. Some mm-hmm. of them are religious fanatics. Some of them are not. Yeah, and Ripley arrives alone. Temptation woman in an all all right? male prison. They come close a couple of times. Yeah, and you get this weird echo of the original intention. Plus the um, the idea that the alien gestates inside something that's not a person for the yeah. first time. Yeah, exactly. Which I forgot to mention. That well, it whole, was Knox, as, yeah, yeah, as you said. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the uh, one of Sigourney... This is interesting. One of Sigourney's stipulations for doing Alien 3 was that the final script had to be written by Giller and, uh, and Hill. Okay. Uh, because she thought that other than Cameron, they were the only people that could write Ripley capably. Interesting. Uh, so they kind of came on board, and it had been a long time since they had submitted a draft. So, like you said, they kind of cobbled together the best of what they had, um, you know. And I, I wish I had a figure for this because what was what was Superman lives at the end of the day when they finally pulled the plug on it? What did they spend like oh, upwards of hundreds of millions of dollars on development? Money, yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder how close the number <laughs> for Alien Three was when they finally, because you get, you get a feeling, not just with the script but with the production as well, uh, that they were out of money. And so all of these like uh, ambitions sort of met the fickle uh, line of demarcation of cost, right? Because they had blown so much of their brains out developing this thing right. that when they finally got around to making it, uh, they they had no patience. And uh, I definitely I think that that echoes from the script right down to the theatrical release, and certainly. Uh, well, when you compare it to the longer cut, it's yeah, yeah, the cuts, the changes, the the slicing of, of material just it feels increasingly desperate. Yeah. And the the like the second half of Alien Three feels like a like a sprint when the rest of the movie wasn't. And sure. when things show up, the, the elegance goes away, the grandeur just disappears. Mm-hmm. Um, relationships are I think it, for me it's right at the point where Charles Dance is taken out. Which is also unspeakably right. evil. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's such a it's such a cheap shot in a film that's already like taken the wind out of you, you know? Yeah. It's I think I find that I think the film is the only one of the four alien movies that the original cycle that really feels to me like you're experiencing clinical depression. <laughs> like you're just being pushed down and down and down into a hole. Yeah. Uh and then when when you start from the place that it starts from, which is that you are alone, you are uh gutted you've got nothing left and then starts to introduce the oh and you're going to die horribly in yeah. a way that you've seen many your, people yeah, already right? yeah exactly exactly and then your last chance at hope is gone it's just it's this process of everything being stripped away from yeah. her until 
it ends the way it ends because the whole movie is this process of being made okay with that. But the speed at which that happens, like if somebody hits the gear shift at some point an hour in and it just thrusts it into, oh shit, we forgot we have to make an alien movie. Mm, as well as point. this beautiful allegory. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a, a weird mashing of those two, the, the aesthetic concept and then the execution of it. They're just sure. sort of at war with each other in the same Absolutely. Way. And, and so much of the film is target of opportunity. I mean, it was a co-pro with the UK, mm-hmm. obviously. So you've got, you know, a lot of, uh, of uh, British character actors sort of like populating the, the grand cast. And uh, I, I think it was shot in a single location, maybe like... I mean, it feels like a soundstage picture. Yeah. I don't even think that was a soundstage. I think it was like a, a derelict factory that they rented oh, or something maybe. like that. Yeah, that, that. the foundry so, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also never fully made sense to me. What do these convicts do? What are they producing? Well, in the... Um, uh, I think it was the... monks the, made something, right? Yeah, everybody made... In all the early drafts, everybody made something. And in the one, uh, the Space Mall one mm-hmm. that uh, Gibson did, they have a foundry that sort of shoots steel... Right through like a, a like a cylinder of steel because the the it's in high Earth orbit right so it keeps perpetually shooting out this like cylinder of steel to Earth waiting downstairs right. kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Is it a consequence that they knew in the third act they've got to melt the alien in a foundry and they just sort of put it in this prison planet? Yeah, or I is just it... assume it's all built out of Terminator Two ending in a, <laughs> in a foundry, you know, in an ironworks. Yeah, because that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, right to that. That's this is this is the location that we think we can get. Can you build a, an ending that fits there? Sure, sure. But I would say you know when you're faced with the dramatic conundrum of okay, well we've set up a world where there are no weapons, right? right. And we set up a prison where they don't have weapons anymore. Yeah. Right? How are they going to kill this thing? And it's virtually indestructible anyway. Exactly. Um, To say nothing of the fact that it doesn't work anyway. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I mean, the the cynic's view would say, all right, well, it gives you the beautiful scene with the cremation of Hicks and Newt and the kind of birth-death dichotomy thing that they do. And uh, it gives them a reason to trap the alien in the whole chase act three thing. But I can see your point. Like, there, it, it does. There's a certain slapshod kind of patchwork quilt kind yeah. of feel to the film, and I I find that it's successful in spite of that, almost in spite mm. of that, or maybe even as a as a benefit to that. I mean, just just now when you said the film feels like uh, experiencing someone's depression, yeah. Well, we all know David Fincher's relationship with the movie. I mean, he disowns it, I and mean, when they did the the remasters, he refused to be a part of it. Yeah, right. His, so his absence is really specific I know I know because out of all of them I mean we've heard Ridley talk about Alien you know endlessly right James Cameron same thing Uh, you know I don't expect John to really like tell us how his you know his inner workings go and and I'm sure the broken English would would make it even even more difficult we talked about it when he came through for Micmacs and it was briefly yeah he said that you know he made the movie he wanted to make the studio was behind him and People just didn't like it. And like, yeah, that's. I actually, loved it. I think it's great too, but yeah. but it was rejected, you know, like so resoundingly, even more so than Alien Three, uh, which mm-hmm. I guess people were sort of okay with at, at the time. Yeah, I think the, I think Alien Three changed the consensus. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's kind of reclaimed its place twenty five years later. Sure, and it's insane to me that it's been that long. I know, uh, I know, but there's there's enough. Yeah, there's enough going on in Alien Three that you can't. I mean, I never wrote it off. Yeah. I just, I remember being, 
I mean, I went back and saw it again a week after the press screening because I wanted to see it again. Yes, yeah. it, it was kicking around in my head. But it's it's the kind of movie that I mean, it's an unsatisfying, satisfying experience. If that makes any sense, I just knew that there was a better version of it. Yeah, kicking around. You see, for me, because all of the all of the other stuff came after that initial visceral shock right. of my world just being destroyed. Uh, everything after was mitigated by respect for that act, like a begrudging respect for that act. Because mm-hmm. never before in my wildest imagination had I seen a film that played so... Uh, that hewed so evil to audience and expectation, right. to... Uh, what you've invested in the characters. I mean, it's let's easily, not yeah. forget they killed a cherubic, blonde, 11, 12-year-old girl, mm-hmm. right? And they dissect her. <laughs> and they dissect her. That was the scene that, yeah. for me, uh, that was the scene where it's just like, oh, okay, we're going. Like, yeah. This movie is not going to stop. Exactly. all the way. And so, you know, like my experience with, you know, art cinema and, and uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Gro- uh, Goldman said... Uh, Hollywood films mean, mean to reinforce and art films mean to destroy. And uh, I think this was my first experience with that kind of art film sensibility where no one is... I mean, and again, it, it's... it's it, it, with, with rose-colored historical perspective, it's kind of weird that I didn't see it coming because Alien always treaded in that dark space, in the panic, but... You know, I guess Aliens gave us a light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. Well, I mean, Aliens is easily the most conventional movie of all four of them. Easily. I mean, if you, unless you see Alien as a slasher movie in space, in which case it does sure. adhere to the roles with the final girl and all. Right. But Aliens, yeah, no, Aliens is a conventional film. It's a great one. It's mm-hmm. a perfect exercise of gene splicing. Like, you've taken this, they take this property and they turn it into a war movie. Right. And it's an amazing, brilliant ride, which I just love so much. Yeah. And then Alien 3 comes along and it's the punk version where it's just like, no, you know what? Let's take that all back. Yeah. Let's, let's almost, you, you could almost go from Alien to Alien 3 without aliens at all, except that she now has these bodies. Yeah. <laughs> but if that, had, if this had been what had happened to the Narcissus, it would still it would be dramatically consistent, which is, I think, what Fincher is going for. He wants to return to that gothic, hopeless tone of the first film. Sure, and and most explicitly, uh, a lot of people were. I mean, it's right there in the title, like Alien, Aliens, and then with Alien Three, they got rid of the pluralization because they wanted to go back to the one monster in the basement kind of idea, as right. opposed to you know, I've got this pulse rifle and I can take you all on, or in the director's cut i've got the sentry guns which were super badass and you know i can uh, i can take out like an entire hive of these of these guys so yeah uh in in a lot of ways it is a kind of reversion to the to the monster in the basement uh kind of thing but it's got none of the hope that's true of alien like it's got none of the oh we're in space now and we're gonna find cool stuff in space and even though it may be bad and horrifying we're still in space. Like Alien Three is like, guess what? Space still has these these you know nooks and crannies where it's absolutely unrepentantly hopeless. And like, here we go. Like, but I agree with you. It, it's it's a very punk exercise. Like, and uh, you know, it's it's really dark and morbid <laughs> and, and just just uh, such an interesting film that's. In it, it just it, it gets into your blood and it doesn't it won't go away you know yeah it's it's the kind of thing too that 
explores the, this is going to sound dumb, but it explores the moral relativism that's always present there. You know, in mm-hmm. the first movie, it's the corporation willing to sacrifice people. And since we're with the people, we immediately identify with them. Sure. They're dying mm-hmm. horribly. Uh, and for no reason right. other than profit. And then Aliens kind of has it with Burke. But as soon as you create a war movie, you have good guys and bad guys. Right. There's, there's really no middle ground. Sure, sure. And then with this one, we're immediately back to, oh, well, this guy who is that, that magnificent Charles Dutton monologue that ends with, I am a rapist of women. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, you're not a good person, but yeah. you're doing your best now. And then you add in... Um, the reason that Dance's character is there and then you add in the additional corporate stuff that rears up at the end which doesn't make a great deal of sense really yeah. you know, the idea that this is all happening so quickly and how did they get there and what's going on and we're still limited by space travel and all these sure, sure, sure. but it happens so fast yeah yeah that rescue to... ship does move at the speed of plot absolutely right yeah, and yeah. she's not supposed to be able to process it she's right. like going by her wits and even that kind of rehashes a moment from Total Recall with the sweat and the blood right, right. but yeah. it's just like by that point, everyone is so committed to their course of action that nothing's going to change it. And I kind of love that about Fincher, that he he offers her hope and has her reject it. Yeah. That Ripley still has to decide, no, you know what, I'm better off dead. Yeah. yeah. Everyone is better off if I'm dead. Well, there's this, there's this like, almost exhaustion yes. to the characters. Yeah. Like, everybody's exhausted. Like, nobody really has the energy to make a positive or a negative decision. Like everything falls with such a dull thud. Like when all the surviving uh, prisoners meet and decide to trap the alien, there's no real denouement to that. It's like, yeah, yeah let's just go, let's go do it. You know, I, I think uh, Dutton gets another, uh, gets another speech. You know, you want to die on your, on your hands and knees or on your feet or, or and you know, it, it has none of that. Uh, uh, optimism. Optimism. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it's just, it's so morbid. You know, she asks him to kill her. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it for you, but you got to help me first kind of thing. Like, the, the, the actual meaning of death is kind of muted. Like, mm-hmm. in many ways, the, the, the emotional palette of the film mirrors the visual palette. Like, it's all grays and browns and mossy greens and yeah. sweat and motor oil. Like, it's just, it's such a nihilistic movie. It, like, and there's, you know, there's just... It, it's replete with examples of nihilism. It really is like an unstoppable, like what hour, hour and 45 minutes, two yeah. hours of just pure nihilism. Like, you know, <laughs> like a Bukowski kind of novel or something yeah. like that. Like I, I mentioned this in the aliens episode with, with Michelle Loretta. It's like the one thing that I always took away from this cycle is that everyone who experiences and encounters the alien dies. Everybody. Jones, the cat is the only survivor of the first <laughs> yep. three films. Yep. If True enough. Through. Uh, I mean, I guess some of the convicts will be okay. Well, only one guy, Morris, uh, the guy who got shot in the leg when he's manning the, uh, That's right. yeah. And he's the one who says, uh, I think Dutton says again, Oh, I forgot about you. You got a, you got a deal that you're going to live forever kind of thing. Yeah. So, and, and he's probably going to get cleansed by Wayland Yutani when they take out the whole station. Yeah, room. absolutely. It's, it's just, it is such a, an insistently dark vision. And, it really is. And yeah, as you say, you know, like space travel isn't fun anymore. There's nothing. People are working blue-collar jobs. They're just yep. doing it in space and they're dying. And yep. whatever you do, you end up somewhere awful. And yep. Alien Resurrection comes close to redemption of this theme, but only there. We don't get to Earth. Nope. We just... It stops before they touch down. Yeah. And Alien Resurrection is, is, is a very different beast because it's so 
operatic almost mm. it's like a musical it's it's almost like a symphony through film like it's got yeah. these beats and and epochs and and movements and stuff like that whereas alien 3 you know it it's got it's, its three acts but they're all they all circle around the same kind of whole yeah no musically speaking it's a dirge yeah like it's a funeral pile yeah it pretty much is yeah i mean it's a step it's a step removed from a drone like it's not just a single yeah. note but it, it hews pretty close to that yeah it's a dirge absolutely, yeah. absolutely. even the monster sequences aren't thrilling in that way they're scary they're in, they're intense but there's no fun to be had like you don't enjoy a moment of the film no it's just not there for that no and every time you think you get something to hang your hat on they take it away yeah Every single time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, an interesting fact, they wanted to cast, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Richard E. Grant as uh, Charles Dance's oh, character. Oh, for a little Withnell. Yeah, a little Withnell and I reunion. That would be nice. But it would have it been a totally different... I mean, it's hard enough to accept that Ripley gets horny in the first place, right? Like, it's, it's kind of difficult. Uh, and, there, you know, if, if one of my problems if I have one with Alien 3, is that that sort of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, well, especially if she's still in mourning for the relationship she might have had with Hicks. Exactly, and she also has, like, you know, if we're to dumb it down to, you know, life as chess game, like, what's what's the long game for, for this move, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, is it simply companionship or... or you know, or does, is she looking for a way into the power structure of this, like, skanky place where they don't even have batteries that work anymore? I mean, I just, it seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah, well, and, there's that sequence that was cut from Alien about, uh, I think it's in the heavy metal comic book. It's yeah, yeah. definitely in the in the novelization. I remember reading it um, where, where Lambert and Ripley are just talking about casually, like, have you ever slept with Ash? No, not really. And sex is way more transactional in the future than it is huh. now. It's just, I think it's presumed in the in the text of Alien that they're just sleeping around constantly. Everybody on the Nostromo. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, you're in space. You might as well yeah, just yeah. occupy yourself. True enough. True and, enough. you know, she's had a kid, but we never find out anything about her husband, so... Yeah, we never ever do in any, like... It's all buried. Yeah, it's all buried, absolutely. Yeah. And who knows in the 22nd century what the priorities are, what the structure is. Sure. But, yeah, in this one, there's... I mean, there's still rape, obviously. Obviously. But... Uh, and in so many different forms because that's ultimately what the xenomorph represents yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah no the idea of a relationship I don't know she just seems to like him yeah that's, so that's it it just happens but does it mean anything else and obviously the fact that he's killed immediately immediately <laughs> in um, the, the worst possible way post like... monologue <laughs> uh, that suggests to me that the movies don't care about sex either yeah it's really only ever just a means to an end sure sure and fair point resurrection doesn't really have any sexual relationships either right well like resurrection's got the un the unlying underlying theme of like sexuality and you know like uh, sigourney's vamping it up with her alien dna right right? and she definitely takes a sort of burlesque kind of uh sex kitten guys in that film uh but yeah no it like any any thread you pull out of Alien 3 in a quest for some kind of happiness or positivity yes, leads, only to, leads only to despair. And uh, I can't think of another film. You see, what gives the despair so much power is this a franchise film, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, un- it's just insane that someone said they were okay with this. <laughs> uh, because it flies in the face of Friend, like the whole point of a franchise film, you don't 
first off, you don't like item A, you don't kill your protagonist because right. that ends the franchise right then and there. Item B, uh, you kind of want to give people a reason to come back. And if you're just like throwing hot oil over the ramparts at them, yeah, then, yeah. you know, your audience is done. So the, the, the singular fact that the film got made just boggles my mind. And then the fact that, I, I mean, I'm not surprised that it had the, the, the impact critically that it did because it is just so dark and disturbing. But um, I am happy that history has kind of vindicated it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think if it had actually been the end of the series, it would be still hated, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, the redemption comes because they made five more Alien movies. True. And none of them is as good <laughs> as this one. Like, they just don't measure up. I like Resurrection, but it's just weird and flawed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I like Prometheus and Covenant because they're ambitious, but, uh, you know, they've really played fast and loose with, oh, with my story. They're and, and, so dumb. Uh, they, they really, really yeah. I just, I want to like them so much, and yeah. they just won't let me. Yeah. Um, just this last one, I, I'm... I'm done by Alien Covenant because it starts so well because it almost feels like it's going to get it right and then they just turn it back into the same thing that they always do which is um, Ridley Scott insisting that you need these things explained to you you don't and yeah no you don't what made Alien so scary is that it wasn't explained yeah right and uh, that the xenomorph was just part of space this is space is vast it's endless there's some nasty stuff out there watch out yeah and yeah. even aliens you know like that gorgeous tagline that they had there's some places in the universe you just don't go alone yeah yeah that's right yeah that's exactly right that yeah. was, was that's the spirit of the first film and now we have guns and they still don't really help yeah and then prometheus comes along and i think i'm going to explain the space jockey oh but it turns out i'm not actually doing that I and know. then the next like with covenant i don't need to know that the facehuggers were perfected by a person because what does that even it it mean? makes the universe so much smaller. Yeah, smaller and, and pettier. And pet you're right, and pettier. Especially if this technology is only, you know, a hundred years old or eighty years old or however old it's supposed to be now, it doesn't make any sense. And the queen, I mean, yes, okay, there wasn't a queen, and then they Cameron brilliantly figured out a way to do that. Sure, sure. And it's still dumb. Like it's <laughs> it's still dumb in, in Covenant because it, they, none of this stuff has any purpose and if the idea is that Michael Fassbender's are running around endlessly bothering people in space, yeah. I mean, you can make a franchise where it's that. You don't have to make it an alien franchise. Sure, exactly. Like, imagine if Prometheus was a standalone. It could have been something else, but because it's loaded with all of this imagery and all these reference points, it can't help but disappoint. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. But thanks to those examples, we have Alien 3 as uh, an example of purity. Like it Which is, is weird in, in historical context yeah. that it's an example that... That the, the tide has shifted so much that now we look at Alien 3 as like a pure expression of the narrative. Yeah. When, you know, you, you go back in time and people were screaming bloody murder. Oh, no, that, people like, hated it. Yeah, yeah. People hated it. So it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, Alien 3 avoids the temptation to explain anything. It just, oh, yeah. It just, like, I mean, even Ripley doesn't share information when she could. Yeah. It's kind of amazing yeah, how unhelpful true. she is. She is pretty unhelpful, in yeah. In that situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I have mean, this monster parasite inside me. <laughs> and I know what's going on, but yeah. I'm mad. Yeah, so what I'm happened last time? Everybody died. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the and oh and Bishop, you know, like I, we didn't even get to talk about Lance Henriksen and how yeah. good he is under a ton of makeup in that first Bishop sequence. Oh, it's great. And it's great, very great. And then he asks to be put down, which is just like again, her yeah. one friend left taking that away from him. Sure. 
everything is going, everything is leaving. And then when he's reintroduced at the end, I, I got to talk to him that year, I think, for Jennifer 8. Cool. I was on the junket for that, and we chatted, and he... We, we had enough time because this was back in the days when oh and Lance Henriksen is here would you also like to talk to him right 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 yes how much time <laughs> we talked about that and we talked about Alien 3 and Pit and the Pendulum more than anything nice, else nice because they're two really interesting performances from him and he said with Bishop he would have happily come back and played the whole thing as a half alien a half android <laughs> he would have like he said like you know what build me a wheelchair I would do that right and they just they weren't interested in it that's not where the show was going he ended up doing what he does and what he does is, like, it's really eloquent and sweet. It's fantastic. And it's because, I mean, it's funny. He he said something when we talked that I've never forgotten because I had the same response. It's like, he never thought he was playing Bishop, even in Aliens. He never right. played Bishop as, as villainous. And he said he was amazed at how many people were waiting for a turn because right. of Ash. Yeah. And his whole point was, no, I say right up front, we have inhibitors. I can't, I, we, I can't do that. Yeah, I can't yeah, be yeah. bad. And I was like, yeah, I believed you. He's like, well, thank you. I tried to make it as honest as possible. And it's like, people didn't want to trust him. And then so in, in Alien 3, he's completely unburdened by that. Right. But then when he reappears, you instantly don't trust him. Instantly. Your, your brain starts arguing with itself yeah. in that moment. Well, I mean, physically, he's like, he's got the face for that duplicity, right? Yeah. Like, okay. he, like so it, it's very much in his wheelhouse. Uh, and it was... A, a brilliant bit of casting because I think even more so than Ian Holm he just looks like he's pulling one over on you all yeah. the time so even though his face is utterly guileless yeah like he's just he's his voice is always calm he never shouts but yeah you just you can't fully you, trust him you can't fully trust him and then that shot in Alien like through the through the tunnel where you like you're like right down the barrel of him and like just the ways oh, he's like, crawling yeah, yeah. In, 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 like I mean like how can you not think he's up to no good right yeah. so but uh now, that was an interesting build, the the Henriksen head, right? Because he's obviously poking out of a table and they've got like the thing like a bib on him sort of thing. Yeah. But you don't see the seams. No. Like I think that's no. one of the last practical, uh, like almost animatronic Stan Winston-y kind of stuff. I that, think so. Yeah. I mean, what, they would have started, yeah, I mean, even the Terminator movies started doing more CG stuff. Yeah, yeah. After, well, Terminator 2 did it perfectly, but... Then subsequently, like there's the fake Schwarzenegger heads in three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fighting with the, the, the uncanny thing. valley nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, and salvation. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, it is, and then that does give us the CG alien in Alien Three, which right. is. It didn't look great at the time. It looks worse now. Yeah, it looks Babylon Five now. Yeah, but let's be honest. When they Alien Three is the first time they do the POV from the alien's perspective, right. and I thought they did a way better job on that visual effect in Alien Three than they do in Covenant. Yeah, that's fair. Because Covenant's that like bees, like hexagonal kind of yeah, nonsense, which doesn't make yeah, any, it doesn't even make any sense. And I mean, the 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 alien CG in Covenant is so weightless and lifeless, like right. like yeah. there's no you don't feel the creature like you don't like they're just yeah. you know Something happens in resurrection too in the swimming sequence it's a great image it's they, a great they, image they yeah move weird they do move like you weird can feel that they're and i guess if you start with a man in a suit you should stick to it like that's just the first two films use suits they're yeah amazing suits uh well cameron made it like he had six suits yeah. he made an incredible use of those sure sure and then with three it's down to one monster and the monster isn't quite there like, you, your brain doesn't register it the same way you do practical effects. Just because at that point, the effects 
the, well, yeah, they were found the lacking. Yeah, yeah, not quite there. Yeah, uh, but I dig the dog alien. I love, I love the dog slash ox alien. Yeah, like, I, I, the I idea thought, of it is great. Yeah, it's fantastic, and what it adds to the mythology because I mean, just to circle back to the earlier drafts, sure. they were still playing with the. Um, world building of how the alien's life cycle goes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know uh, anybody that's a fanboy is well aware that in the Scott version, they were supposed to turn into the ovioid sacs themselves, yeah. uh, which is way less scary than the the Cameron, you know, like waking up just before the chestburster says hello. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then the, the instantaneous chestburster for, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jesus. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, what's, his, what's his face in uh, Covenant... Uh, I want to say oh, uh, Jim, yeah, yeah Billy, the oh, high speed Billy. There you go, Billy Crudup. Yeah. I, I always you're going to say Caviezel. Yeah, I always get yeah. them mixed up. There's, always there's get them mixed up. Yeah, because Gibson introduced that in the in the his script, right? Because there was a viral alien. Yeah, yeah, movie, yeah. Which, which a, they copied in uh, in, Covenant in Covenant with the which spores. Still yeah, makes no sense. No, I mean it, it is interesting, and I guess you can't be surprised that there's this wealth of material that 20th Century Fox possesses, so that every time they go back to the trough, they're like, how can we? get some value yeah. back from oh, all yeah, of yeah. this stuff. So, I assume there's just some big dusty card catalog. They haven't <laughs> even digitized it yet, but they've just got all the bullet points of what happens in every version of every draft of Alien 3 that never got used. That that presupposes that there's any continuity in Hollywood, right? <laughs> and you got to imagine that every time the regime changes, it's like a ghost town in there for a day and then... Burn and then, it all. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, burn it all. Uh, but, I mean... Again, the the proof is in the pudding. There is so much from... Ev- like, there may not be any new ideas in the world, but it's hard to escape the commonality that runs through of like something borrowed, something repurposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like uh, to, for me, it's, it's hard to say... It's hard to say it's the purest expression of the alien concept because there really isn't one Mm. like you were saying everybody brings their their that's why i appreciate the series so much is that everybody brought their own skill set to the table and for the most part and i think fincher included despite his uh his sort of uh distance from the film they got to bring their own their own perspective to it yeah yeah. it's a fincher film Yeah, yeah yeah and then when seven came out what three years later it just felt that made sense of Alien Absolutely. I think I enjoyed 7 more as a consequence of how much I dug Alien 3 because I kind of knew what I was getting. Yeah, you I know? can totally see that. Uh, you, I mean, yeah, if you enjoyed Alien 3, 7 instantly makes sense to you. Like yeah. In the first 10 minutes. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know what you're getting. Well, it mines the same kind of territory. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more, I think it apes Blade Runner a bit more uh, than Alien 3 does. But uh, well, I mean, just the municipal setting, like the urban stuff, and the the constant rain and the smoke everywhere, and the like. But uh, you know, Alien Three's got a lot of smoke. (laughs) Oh yeah, and it's got a lot of it's got a lot of dripping vents. So I suppose we could call that rain. Yeah, I mean, it has everything except the spinning circular fan. It must have a spinning circular fan two or three places. I think it's got some spinning circular fans. It's that's yeah, the and the hanging chains everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, it's um. Well, it just, yeah, it feels like, I just, I always wonder how many takes he got, how many, like, how how much of his current style is derived from having a, what he thought was a bad experience on Alien 3, where the vision is like 80% his. It's clearly... The it's clearly a Fincher make, movie, right? clearly. Like, but he's not happy with it. 
So where do you... Well, does that just come from inexperience, right? It's a big studio film. They sank a lot of money into developing. They wanted to get it done uh, cheaply, quickly. Yeah. uh, And they hired an untrained first-time feature director. Yeah, this is probably the only movie he really imagines as work for hire, right? Like, because everything else was him calling the shot. Which is strange, because he comes from commercial backgrounds, so how can he not understand a work for hire, right? Because the commercial game is, like, insane tight deadlines. and. Art it plays second fiddle to delivering and making everybody happy. Yeah. So, but on music videos you get a final cut, and maybe that was it. Yeah, because it's that's a perfect you know three minute experience that he's creating. And he was time. working with Madonna, and he was working with the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not like he hadn't dealt with big egos. Yeah, but you're right. You know, there is there's probably some truth in that. He had final cut on those videos. Yeah, and he's not answering. He's really even with these giant artists, he's he's still in charge. And so now you put him in a studio situation where he's the new boy, even though he's been working for 10 years, and they're just not listening. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he was absolutely the wrong person for the job, even though I love the movie and I'm so glad he did it. But you have to think that, um, or maybe he was the right person for the job and that this was just, it had to happen. It made him a better filmmaker, right? Yeah. Uh, Because certainly when it came around time to do seven i mean that's a pretty pure expression in an auteurist sense right so um of the same core ideas yeah yeah like what's in the ball i mean seven is not there's no happy there's no happy endings in seven either so uh yeah i i think uh you which then surprises me why he would disown it so much and why he wouldn't make the same connection. Like, you know, this was a struggle, but can you safely say that any first kick at the can, like your, your first feature is not going to be a struggle, yeah. right? Someday I hope to just be able to get two minutes with him just to ask him if like, maybe he dug in at the time and now he's reconsidering. You know, you're probably right because like he had the experience with the Stones and Madonna and with final cut so he dealt with egos that were way bigger than any studio executive right right so you have to imagine that he's it was like a it was a tight wire act for him because he had the self-belief required you know sure, as a consequence sure, yeah. but he like you said he wasn't getting listened to he wasn't feeling like uh uh, you know, he was he was given his artistic birth or like the polite distance. Yeah, he certainly wasn't being treated as the creative partner he was right. by the end of it. When you know, if you look at the assembly cut, there are ideas in there that simply got snuffed out. He just right. wasn't allowed to express them. And as much as I love the assembly cut, and as much as I love the trapping the alien in the in the waste receptacle, mm-hmm. it is kind of anti three-act structure like it is kind of a step backwards to step forwards again it's a bit of a reset button in the middle of like what uh i guess the second half of act two yeah yeah yeah. so maybe that's it too because it plays like false hope and we know it's not going to work we just like as and and i think that may be why it was cut because at that point no living person is going to expect any hope in this film right and the audience for the alien movies is already exactly ahead of them so I so in some cases I think that it helped with the pacing, but again you 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 mentioned it right at the outset. There's a huge pacing problem in the film. Like the first half is elegant and and sort of uh, measured, and then the second half is just Mad Max Fury Road. Right? Yeah. It's just like this unstoppable freight train to its less to its massively unsatisfying conclusion. <laughs> uh, so. I mean, this is why I love the film so much is I could talk about it forever. Like there's so much you can take away with respect to, you know, 
real knowledge like as a working filmmaker like how do you navigate the studio system and I don't think it is so far removed time wise that you can take nothing away from Fincher's experiences so there's all of that there's like you know um, how there's the the, this sort of cautionary tale like um, you know they want you because you're an artist but then they get you and they want you to deliver it really quickly and not say anything when they have uh, when it's a bullshit notes party or whatever the case may be Uh, and then there's the takeaway of what a brave film and whether it's brave as a consequence of the exhaustion of everybody involved or whether it's brave um, because they just balls to the wall went for this like dystopian fever dream uh, of of badness Uh, you have to salute that I mean films this hardcore dark don't come along that often and so you have to you have to celebrate that for better or worse it's a Frankenstein monster we'll never know um, we'll never know exactly how all the pieces fit together and I think that's that's part of the allure of it right because you you bring your own kind of uh, uh, viewing apparatus to the party sort right. of thing your own subjective viewpoint you create the connective tissue exactly yeah. but the film rewards your knowledge of the series it rewards your knowledge of the minutia of the like the film is it's endless it's hard to say about a film that's so not rewarding in the classical sense but i find it endlessly rewarding when you start to scratch at it because uh i i do think it's aged pretty i think it's aged evenly like i i rewatched it again and i was like god there are some parts here that are just excruciating to watch and and the cg is you can see the seams but um you know if you compare it to if you compare the CG in Alien Three, this, this is another thing that just occurred to me. So, because the CG was so was so much in its infancy back then, yeah. usually you had nighttime scenes, That's right? True, that yeah. sort of hid the seams. But you're seeing the CG Alien, and, and not. I mean, there's nothing that's full lit in this movie yeah. whatsoever. There's a lot of reds. There's a lot. Yeah, of but but brightness. you're definitely given the opportunity to go. Oh, I can see the seams, which in itself is brave for a 1993 film that's using computer generated effects, right? Mm. So. Um, you know the the cynic devil's at the, the 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 devil on your shoulder is going to is going to say well it was a rush job it was a hack job blah blah blah, blah. that's why it looks stupid you know they didn't even have the opportunity to light it uh, in darkness because they just wanted to get the, the thing out of there and then uh, you know the angel on your shoulder is is all the stuff that I've been saying for yeah. for the last but look what they change. tried to do and it is mostly successful yeah especially in the rearview mirror exactly I'll take it you know that yeah. I think. That that would be one of the reasons why I would want to talk to Fincher so badly because I'm so curious as to why he hates it so much. Because yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, if my name was on that movie, I'd be pretty proud of it. Yeah. And you he's know? doing a World War Z sequel now. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, sure. Sure. Why not? He's helping his buddy. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, if he's making that, he's got to be proud of this. Yeah. On some level. Maybe this is... Well, he's establishment now, right? So it's, you know... And that's awesome that David Fincher is establishment. But, like, as an... It would be interesting to see what he thinks about the film now. Even now, as opposed to when they did the assembly cut, right? And that's, what, the Alien Anthology, the Quintilogy, the Quadrilogy was, like, 98, 99? It was early days for DVD. yeah, Yeah, so he was, what, coming... He was barely 15 years out when they did the last remaster... But where where was that in his career trajectory? Like, was that the game or after the game, the box set was put right. together 
So what was Wait, that? the first... Oh, I knew this. The first box set was rushed out pretty fast because they weren't even widescreen. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. Like 60 by 9. Yeah. And then the the quadrilogy was established, was released like 2001, 2002. So maybe 20 years after Alien. So Green. what was... So what was so seven, made... the game, and then... Oh, what was that? Panic Room? No, yeah, I, I it was think... right around that time. It must have been. That was 2002. Was Panic Room really his fourth film? I think so. Huh. Interesting. No, Fight Club. Fight. Oh, of course, of course. Oh my God, right. of course. Yeah, Fight Club is what got yeah, yeah. back into Fox to talk about. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Panic Room. <laughs> That's bizarre. Fight Club is so iconic that it's transcended him. <laughs> and that I'm is sorry, true. I apologize to the people who've been yelling Fight Club for the last minute. While we're, <laughs> we're idiots. I, sorry. I <laughs> Fight Club. Yeah. What was that movie that Orson Welles made? I can't remember. Yeah. There was like a sled in it. Citizen. Citizen Ralph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot Fight Club. We we went so far up Alien 3's bum that we forgot mm. Fight Club, but that's hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, I mean... Uh, so by that point, though, he cemented himself. Yeah. Because even though Fight Club underperformed, it was still clearly... Like, it was accepted as a visionary work. Yeah. It wasn't... I mean, Fincher's doing all right. Like, he's got, like, Fight Club and Seven are, like, right up in the par- in the pantheon of, like, massively influential films that everybody apes from. And, yeah, and, and people still talk about the game 20 years later. The game is, is, is a kind of dark horse for me. I, I really, really dig it. Um, but I don't know if it's yeah. Sean Penn. He kind of pisses me off. <laughs> uh, and I, I do think he's a, he's a pretty terrific actor, but he just... Everybody's so spineless in that movie. I, I, I realize that it's like, again, you can, Fincher ha- is obsessed with certain concepts like every every filmmaker, but like this whole like spineless bourgeoisie that permeates the game, like everybody's just such a douchebag, right? And like, I think that's why Fight Club makes the perfect answer to it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just a, it tilts all the way the other way in, right. in a ridiculous way. And it hangs its hat on a beautiful, beautiful narrative. Like yeah. the twist is, gorgeous even if you can see it coming from a mile away it's an amazing twist uh so narratively it hangs its hat like its game is tight narratively so he gets to explore all these wonderful visual things and i mean going back to panic room like what did he build like a a dolly track through a house to shoot that film like i I can't you know well there's that cgi thing through the coffee bank right 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 it's just that's such a fun movie it is it's a fun little movie yeah can you believe i this i know i've had this conversation on the podcast before but i'm still stunned that there's no blu-ray of it there is no i am stunned anywhere in the world not even japan really where they love his stuff so much no high definition i'm just assuming it's going to go straight to 4k for criterion or something it'll just That'll be there. For yeah, I, I wouldn't be so sure because if it, there's no release anywhere, that must mean that the rights are in like some serious. No, Sony owns it. They just don't. They've just never done it. Why not? I don't know. I don't damn. Because my first inclination would be like it's a rights. It's a rights quagmire. Oh, no, like, I thought so too. But yeah, I looked yeah. into it, and it's Sony Pictures through and through. <sighs> wow. Yeah, it's just they got a hate on for Fincher over makes there. No sense at all. Yeah, they must yeah. have lost them so much money on something else. On some post-development project that never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so this does sort of organically bring us to the, the final question. You sort mm. of teased it, but, you know, like, what of... Is there anything of Alien 3 that you've used or borrowed or absorbed in your own creative DNA? This film's in my creative DNA. Like, I, I don't know where it ends and I begin. Like, I saw it at an, at an age... I mean, the reason why I wanted... The reason why I am a filmmaker is my parents let me see Jaws and Poltergeist too early, right? Nice. So I'm afraid of bathtubs. I like I'm like the ocean forget about it uh clown dolls forget about it like I slept with my duvet on a like in a in an angle tucked under my head 
for like the better part of my adolescence, those films scared the piss out of me. Uh, so everything that I said about Alien Three, like just the 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 punk ethos of it, right? Like it really is. You know, if Suicide, the band, you know Martin Rev and Alan Vega were a movie, they'd be Alien Three. <laughs> like just this, like this visual and and narrative terrorism. Like, hey, you like uh, you like the 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 chisel jawed blonde. Uh, uh, soldier. Well, guess what? He's he's he was impaled. You like you like the eleven year old girl? Well, she drowned in her cryo tube. Like, um, this sort of that that really nasty punk spirit uh, that informs Alien Three is probably the biggest takeaway. But also that, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the biggest takeaway. And then. I'm trying to find like some kind of redemption in Alien Three, but but I think that's that's the the noose that it gave me, like to just kind of take that that furious punk energy, but marry it to something that's a bit less overtly nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's too beautiful to be that ugly. Except that exactly, is, exactly. Right? There's such a beauty in that ugliness, right? Like I, that. I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, if you're going to go there, go there with a smile, yeah. right? Uh, so, yeah, like, just just how it destroyed my paradigm. Like, Alien 3 was my way into the minutiae of the Hollywood system because I was so destroyed by it. But I was like, <laughs> how did this happen? Like, right. who allowed... Who killed my newt? Who killed my hex? Like, how the hell did this happen? And so then... Um, it like that was the impetus for me to explore the you know the unglamorous side of movie making and, and how films come together and how you know sometimes the best of intentions lead to development hell or like the you know in the case of Fincher like a young hot filmmaker completely uh, disowns his work kind of thing mm. uh, so yeah it was it was my window into a whole new sensibility absolutely cool. artistically and uh the business side of things do you i mean you must you know about the neil blomkamp thing right yeah his promises to make another alien movie that somehow resets the chronology erases alien 3 and starts anew i that just makes me mad on a whole bunch of levels and i'm just wondering how you feel about it like, what was your first response when you heard of the plan fear <laughs> because uh you know i can't Retconning is nev- is one of my worst enemies, right? Like mm-hmm. I think, especially in the in the genre scope, you owe something to your continuity. If you're building a world, you owe you you have an obligation to the world you've built. And you know they licensed it to Dark Horse, and then Dark Horse went down a, a path and stuff. Yeah, there are a million different. Comic book it's versions. it's difficult to answer the Bloom Camp question two films into Ridley Scott's. Uh, oh, re reimagining of it because would it have been worse? Probably not. That's an interesting question. I hadn't even thought about it that way. It's like, would you prefer going forward in the wrong way than going backward in an unsatisfying way? Yeah. But I just like for me, it strikes me as this weird insistence that the series went wrong and he can fix it. And I, having seen his other films, I have no faith in that. Well, I wanted to avoid that because... No, no, yeah, I can say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. Uh, so, I, like... But, like, nothing in his movies gives me the sense that he... But he's a huge fanboy for it, so you got to give him that, right? right? So, like... 
but it'll just end up being aliens again. We'll, just well that's the thing. I, I, you know, as much as Covenant and Prometheus kind of went off in a direction that I don't think anybody wanted them to go in, they still weren't, you know, alien. Like, yeah. how many copycat films have been made of alien, aliens? Not Alien 3, obviously, but, yeah. you know... Uh, like the blender of the of the space monster kind of right, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. so I think there is no audience would accept that at this point. Like if you're just going to do a paint by numbers kind of aliens movie sort of thing, especially if he had gone back and retconned Alien Three and kind of created this like alternate cosmology where it's just more of the same, right? Uh, so if he had gone and made Aliens Two, I think it would have been an abomination. Uh, but and again it just tells us that Fox did the right thing by abandoning that and going with Alien 3 and making something else in 92 when they could have gone for more of the same yes just absolutely they've never been interested in that it's like the it's so weird that the the two major franchises that Cameron's been involved with Terminator and and Alien Mm -hmm. one is famous for its shape-shifting yeah and the other is constantly trying to recapture the it's thing that infamous he for its cyclical nonsense. Yeah, yeah and yeah. he's coming back to it again. And I just, you know, do something you want to do. Don't, yeah, don't make another. Well, doing right? what he wants to do means we're sitting through avatars. eighteen avatars. Yeah, you but know? those will be fine. <laughs> There's nobody who hates Avatar. They just don't like it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't. I, I absolutely don't hate it. I've seen it far too many times to hate it. Indifference but, to its existence, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So there'll yeah. be another one, and it'll be a fun ride. Yeah, like it wasn't walking out of the theater of, of Avatar was not walking out of Phantom Menace, right? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. like a James Cameron Terminator movie just makes me think, okay, we'll get one new idea that's really interesting, but it's still going to be a Terminator movie because that's what it has to be. Yeah. They only have one mode. Well, okay, here's the problem. Here's one of the... We, Ripley is human, so she can age. Right. Right? Yes. The Terminator true. can't age. So keep, you keep putting Schwarzenegger in here and you've got to explain his aging away. Right. And then you end up with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? right? Where and it's no like, no one wants that, right? Uh so yeah, could the Terminator films work without a reliance on on Arnie? Yeah, possibly. I think with Cameron driving, yes. I mean, I'm sure it's possible. Sure, he's capable of imagining a world where that's possible. But as long as the franchise, just like Alien, really, as long as the franchise stays so invested in the idea of this monster, yeah, this one thing, this key image, sure. And that's what Alien Three was supposed to do, and then didn't because Resurrection brought back Ripley. Right. The idea is that you can abandon or end or climax and walk away yeah and leave it in ruins and see well, what else happens that's what you said like if they had if Alien 3 had been the end of the Sigourney Weaver era yeah people would still be mad at it super <laughs> super duper mad at it I mean it would be I don't know if they would have been able to resurrect the series with mm-hmm. another character they right? might have switched into the Alien versus Predator stuff earlier yeah. Because that was already a thing. Well, the first one wasn't terrible. I mean, I love Paul W.S. Anderson. Event Horizon is one of my favorite, 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 favorite films. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mortal Kombat is neither here nor there. I kind of and... like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I remember seeing it in the theater and thinking, you know what, if you have to make a movie like this, this is a fine way oh, to Oh, I mean, it's better than anything Uwe's uh, thrown out in the video game adaptations. Yeah. But, like, Event Horizon, I mean, if someone said to me, uh, pick a movie that you want to remake, now that... BSG's gone. Yeah. I would take Event Horizon in a yeah, heartbeat. That's interesting. Uh, I wonder what you could do now. Well, I I would. I mean, I wouldn't hold back. Like I would make. I would make the Event Horizon Alien Three. Like the Hellraiser. Movie. Yeah, the, the, but the hopeless one, like absolutely hopeless. Like because right. I think 
Event Horizon very much occupied a bit of that world, but there was still some kind yeah. of well, it was a, like that was a major studio movie that references a creepy horror film, yeah. but doesn't really embrace it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so leaning into it. I mean, even Hellraiser had the one in space. But yeah, we don't talk about it. No, we don't talk about it. Just like the Jason in space. Leprechaun. Yeah, yeah. They always, they always seem to go to space. Never go to space. <laughs> Never go to space. Horror movies they, shouldn't go to space. And they take a bunch of virginal teens with them, and right. they're when, I mean, you have to. <laughs> well, of That's course, when you're going to space you need to bring a bunch of original teams yeah. with you yeah. God, the only thing worth mentioning about Hellraiser in space is that Adam Scott is in it oh yeah playing a Frenchman that's we don't, true again we don't speak of it how was his hair game was it it was, was pretty good yeah pretty good hair yeah. French good. hair good, good. hair yeah, his hair game's amazing. Adam Scott's got amazing hair. Uh, what was it? The one that the movie's about to come out with him and Craig Ro- uh, Craig Robinson. Oh, ghosted the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a blurb in Entertainment Weekly where uh, Robinson was like, uh, "Adam Scott's hair was ruining my acting game because like I kept looking at it and he's like, I'm better than you.' Like, <laughs> I have met Adam Scott and his hair is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good hair. Everybody wants that hair. It's good. It's good do. All right, so Alien. 5B with Adam Scott's hair versus... Well, we can get there. <laughs> Alien versus Robocop versus the Terminator. Uh, it will just take all the, the 20th Century Fox properties. Versus Predator hair. Yeah. Versus Predator. Adam Scott's Predator hair. I like that. I'll yeah. watch it. Yeah. My thanks to Jeff Nesker, whose debut feature, Elsewhere New York, is now available for rental and purchase on iTunes in Canada and on iTunes and Amazon Video in the U.S. You should check it out. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeffrey P. Nesker, all one word, and you can find Alien 3 on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. The Blu-ray is a terrific special edition, offering the theatrical cut and the extended version and a whack of great contextual supplements, but you can also find both versions of the film on iTunes and Google Play. That's kind of cool. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever, that would be greatly appreciated. As I've said before, every little bit really does help. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.